Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Articulating Insight, the podcast where I talk to people I find creative and inspiring from around the internet about the basic tenets of art creation and whatever inspires them and whatever else we want to talk about. Today, on this very special episode, the first episode of 2022, I have iconic YouTube poop editor, streamer, video essayist, mashup album creator, and overall true renaissance figure, Ellie Spectacular, also known as The Things. And, um, of course, I first became familiar with Ellie's work, uh, as I'm sure a great deal of people do, with her The Things YouTube poop output. Uh, For me, it was particularly the Wow It's Made series that, through its cleverly constructed humor and elaborate and really insanely committed uh, editing, uh, struck me as incredibly unique and surprisingly conceptual for um, videos belonging to a kind of subgenre that I'd never seen expressed in quite that way before. And uh, yeah, through just getting familiar with Ellie's work, I um, eventually found Ellie's excellent personal website, which you can find at Ellie Spectacular, which led me to Ellie's mashup albums, which are easily on the level of intrigue and creativity as her uh, YouTube poop videos, and also her video essays, which provide a portrait of really deeply nuanced and constructive art engagement that was super inspiring to see. From then on, I knew Ellie would be an excellent guest for this podcast, and I am so, so grateful to her that she took the time to come on, especially with all the projects she's got running all the time. I'm so glad you took the time out to come and have a conversation with me because it was just, it was such an honor. And yeah, like as for the conversation itself, we have a great talk about the nature of transformative media, uh, particularly in its relation to YouTube poops, obviously, which uh, Ellie has great experience in, but also with mashups and video essays and how those mediums sort of uh, compare and contrast in terms of what they do to transform existing pieces of media. We also talk about how you can draw out uh, personal artistry from a medium that is supposedly as impersonal as remix and transformative art. We also talk about the basics of constructive art engagement and conversation and how that has kind of um, changed over the years of the internet and how we've seen art critique and uh, conversation shift in positive directions that we've seen and uh also what it's been like for ellie to move her creative endeavors to a full-time occupation and what what kind of changes that's brought about in her approach to work but yeah overall it was just just so great to have ellie on and she was just so open and articulate and conversational and it was just it was just a a great a, a great podcast recording session um, and of course, if you haven't seen her YouTube poops under the things or her video essays and matchup albums under Ellie Spectacular, please do yourself a favor and check those out. Those are on a whole nother level of, of great stuff going on. So highly, highly recommended. You can find it all through her website, which is linked in the description. And um, yeah, I, I guarantee you'll have a great time. And I hope you, uh, you gain a little something from the, this conversation I had with Ellie. So uh Without further ado, let's let's get to the conversation. I've been uh, making YouTube poops for over a decade now, and it's it's come a long way. Um, a lot has changed in YouTube poop because you know, by nature of it, it's it's kind of an easy thing to 
explain conceptually to people, but it's a hard thing to, like, really explain the vibes of it without just, like, showing it to someone. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, every time somebody asks what I do, I always tell them, well, you know those, like, silly meme videos you'll sometimes see where someone is, like, taking a movie or something and they've edited it and, like, thrown a joke over it or an image over their face or something? I basically make those, but longer. (laughs) Um... And uh, I, I didn't always describe it that way because that wasn't really a thing that was in people's like social media feeds uh, as often back in like 2009. So I kind of had to, I kind of had to uh, take more time and be more thoughtful about, okay, well, you take any piece of outside stuff and then you take that back into your video editor and you chop it up and you put pictures over it and you make people say things they didn't say. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things that like, it's not difficult to understand when you've never heard of it, but when you haven't seen one, uh, it's it really kind of like, at least for me, it, it opened the, the floodgates of like what was possible with transformative media. Because, um, you know, like there were precursors to YouTube poop, of course. There's, um, you know, YTMNDs and uh, a lot of the sort of like Mimi remix stuff. And even if you go even further back, just a lot of like... Um, TV shows that would have segments where they uh, had things haphazardly like played in reverse that they thought was funny or like throwing unnecessary beeps over things. Um, You know, so there isn't that much that YouTube poop is like a a pioneer of as a, as a style of video, but I, I think it's sort of the amalgamation of all of those different weird editing things and embracing each one and, you know, really pushing like, what's possible with that kind of humor. Um, and I, I love it for that. And it's difficult for me to ever see myself leaving that space, uh, because of how much potential there is for it. Um, you know, like I'm making jokes now, I would never have thought of 10 years ago. Um, and it's, it's nice and it's ever evolving. And of course, like I, don't credit myself with very much of that. I, I think that there's a there's kind of a, a misconception about um, me and my style of videos because you know like I'm I'm pretty popular in the YouTube poop community. Um, mm-hmm. at this point I'm I think it's I think it's not unfair to say that like yeah. I'm, I'm one of like the the figureheads of it. But I think because of that, a lot of people sort of assume that I. Like was the was the first to be doing a lot of these kinds of things, or that like I, um, or that I like invented the sauce joke or whatever. <laughs> um, and I there is very little that I feel I've I've been the first or only person to do, um, in the YouTube poop space. I I genuinely take inspiration from like countless other users, um, and like for every joke of mine that's like pretty good. Um, you can trace it back to a similar joke that someone else made in a different video using a different source that's, like, basically the same joke. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I try to put my own spin on it, but, um, you know, most of the change that I've seen happen in YouTube Poop is stuff that I've seen happen as the result of, like, other people pushing those boundaries and then me saying, hey, I can do, I can do uh, the thing that they did yeah. <laughs> without actually pioneering much. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, like I said, I've been, I've been doing it for a very long time. Um, it is, it is very near and dear to my heart. Um, it is, it is an art form that I will likely be sticking with in some form. Prob, I mean, I want to say for the rest of my life, it's weird to say for the rest of my life because, you know, I 
I used to have phases. Mm-hmm. I used to have like, uh, you know, like when I was little, I, I thought that like drawing was the thing that I loved to do. And then I, I didn't really feel like drawing anymore. Uh, when I was in high school, I thought I wanted to act as like the primary thing that I do. Um, you know, I'm getting a little bit uh, more into that nowadays, but you know, for, for most of my adult life, I, I kind of just was like, yeah, probably, probably not acting <laughs> as, as the main thing. Um, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to sing for a while. Um, you know, so it's, it's weird to say that I think I'll be doing something along the lines of YouTube poop forever. <laughs> um, because like, I don't know that for sure, but it feels like a safe enough bet because I've actually stuck with it this long and the experience of it is not getting worse, yeah. I guess. Um, you know, uh, I could, I could, I could really just go on, but um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm more interested to know what you wanna, what you wanna hear from me. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, and I was thinking, oh, it's, it's really interesting how conceptual discussions about YouTube poops can get for what is, you know, pretty widely considered a, a kind of low low art medium or whatever you yeah, know like it's yeah, something... glorified shit posts <laughs> yeah yeah but like it, it, i mean th- you mentioned in that um in the old the things interview show where you had noise puppet oh, on like yeah. the, the iconic noise puppet um it, it's so fu- that like that interview is so funny because you guys start talking about youtube poop and then the sauce joke comes up and then it becomes a discussion about the basis of linguistics and how that links to comedy and oh, yeah and like and then well you basically you, you guys come to the point that um youtube poops are taking something existing like an existing piece of media and making it something unfamiliar which causes it to be funny and that's really interesting because that's almost what all art is if you think about it it's the microcosm of taking life experience and all that and turning it into something that is like new it's you know applying your sensibility to it yeah so now what do you what do you think about that perception of youtube poops being a quote-unquote low art shit post thing despite it having that much in common with what we consider art art you know well, um, I, I guess I'll say first, I don't remember anything about that interview and I refuse <laughs> to go back and listen to it again because it was so long ago. Um, but I mean, uh, I have my own opinions about where YouTube poop sits in the grand scheme of art, but that's just because I have a very uh, inclusive view of art. It is, it is one that really accepts most things mm-hmm. as being a form of art, whether they are intended to or not, whether they, you know, serve that purpose for us functionally or not, they still, everything has an art about it. Um, So, you know, while I do maintain that and I do, you know, consider the value of really everything we do and everything that we create, um, I recognize that, like, the place of YouTube poop is not, you know, culturally, like... (laughs) (laughs) something that belongs in a museum or something that's going to put a whole lot of, that's going to have a whole lot of effort uh, put into being archived um, or what have you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the biggest like shame of having, having things be considered like low art or high art is that stuff that's considered low art is really not preserved. Mm -hmm. It's really not, um, you know, given the, reverence that that high art is uh and like the respect and i don't mean like in the treating something as a cultural phenomenon when it's not kind of way i mean respect as in just you know like 
taking the time to appreciate it and make sure that it can remain appreciated for others, regardless of like our own opinions on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, yeah, like I, I think that YouTube poop definitely is one of those things that falls into <laughs> that category of like low art, but I also recognize that that's like a very socially constructed concept and that um, it doesn't have to be that way. And uh, but I'm also not like mad about it either. <laughs> I'm also not like uh, how how dare people consider it low art. It's like so much more than that, um, you know. Because like it, it's not for a lot of people, um, and that's okay. You know, a lot of people will see high art. They you know they will see um, you know traditional paintings and sculptures and things that um, have a lot of work put into them and can to some degree recognize the effort. But you know those things don't influence uh their day-to-day lives it doesn't necessarily have an impact on how they think about things you know like the mona lisa is supposedly the greatest painting ever created but the mona lisa uh does not inform anything about my life and how i live it and how i approach art and how i approach people Mm -hmm. uh more than the fesh pins of blair does (laughs) you know um so I, I think that it's it's kind of silly to label things as high art and low art, but at the same time, I'm not I'm not bothered <laughs> by those labels either. Yeah. Well, no, I think especially since you bring up preservation, I think a, you know one of the biggest things when you're dealing with you know mashup remix art, you know taking something and making it something else, is the notion of copyright when other people can claim ownership over something you've put maybe a lot of effort into. And, uh, and like, and limited to visibility because of the, the notion that, well, you're just taking this existing thing and it's not really yours, you know? Right. Um, and you know, there is, there is a little bit of like fair point to that. Um, you know, because it is transformative, you do have to have something as your base. You don't get a complete blank canvas like you do with... Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say animation or, you know, like, like painting, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you start from what is practically nothing. Um, and you, you build on top of that with whatever your brain comes up with, with, uh, video. And, you know, you could even argue that this is true of film too, not, not in literally every case, but you could argue that like, um, you know, a person making a film has like the world Mm -hmm. as, as the thing that you know, they're, they are capturing and that they are uh, transforming. And so film also comes with limitations on like, you know, there are certain things you can't show. There are certain, you know, like places you can't be. There are certain things that are protected uh, even when you're making film. Um, and, you know, YouTube Poop is, is more direct in its uh, relationship to its source material. Um you know, I, I have to I have to really get into the semantics with a filmmaker as to whether um, their work is, quote unquote, original or not. Whereas with YouTube Poop, of course, we know it's not original. <laughs> of course, we know that, you know, I didn't go to the trouble of animating every SpongeBob episode yeah. <laughs> and voice acting all of the episodes of SpongeBob so I could edit it this way. You know, like uh, we're, we're pulling from things that already exist in the world. Um, and... Uh, I, I have my own beefs with, uh, copyright law, um, and how it's handled and how, um, automating copyright law does more harm than good. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because it's, it's, it's a, 
it's a really old tale at this point how um, people will post their transformative media on YouTube and then it gets taken down and then they have to spend months, you know, like going back and forth with basically a robot mm-hmm. <laughs> about, um, you know, whether or not it's like fair use or whether or not it's like derivative enough to still exist. Um, and even if it is allowed to exist, sometimes it's not allowed to be monetized. And so like, you know, I'm, I'm just going to keep using SpongeBob <laughs> as like the, as the example point, yeah. um, because that's, that's notoriously a source that gets removed a lot. But, like, you know, Viacom owns Spongebob, and so when you do something with Spongebob, then, you know, like, Viacom can either take it down and give you a a copyright strike, or they can let you keep it, but then take all of the money from it, Um, which really is not fair. (laughs) That's an element of it that I I do not find fair at all, because you are not showing people um, a full uncut episode. You are not showing people the piece of art that is that is spongebob you are showing people the piece of art that is spinge bill <laughs> which is different um you know like they are they are different things you had a hand in turning it into something new so for viacom to say actually we own all of it sucks mm-hmm. and uh is is disingenuous to it's it's another way in which the art is not respected mm-hmm. you know yeah, well, and I feel like, to me, what feels like the essential part of copyright law is the notion of, are you providing what is essentially a replacement for a product you're supposed to pay for? And mm-hmm. I can't think of any of your videos where I'm like, well, I don't got to watch the source now. It's clearly all here. I mean, uh, you know. Yeah, no, uh, it's it's very rare. I have seen I have seen YouTube poops that are basically that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would say that, yeah, there, there is some diligence that needs to happen on the part of the editor to like make sure that um it is transformative enough and that it doesn't you know serve as a replacement and it rarely does but every now and again every now and again someone will show me a youtube poop and it's always it the funny thing is um you know i'm not talking about anybody specifically but mm. um i i will often get messages from people who are like this is my first youtube poop what do you think of it yeah um and it's and what they've basically done is they've taken an episode of a show or something and you know like like an 11 minute like version of it or something and they have uh replaced certain words or like thrown extra sound effects in yeah um but ultimately kept the integrity of the episode intact and i'm like i just i just feel like i'm watching an episode of storage wars where they say spaghetti sometimes (laughs) (laughs) um you know um I threw that out because no one has ever sent me a Storage Wars YouTube poop. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's sometimes you have to actually uh, consider that because of the fact that you made an edit, that's not really always enough. Um, and so that's a thing that I try to do, not just to uh, avoid copyright trouble in the legal sense, but also um, I feel that that's important for me uh, as an artist. Mm-hmm. Um you know, to to make sure that what I make is original to a degree. I have a rule for myself when I'm editing, um, like, comedies or, or, like, any source that is intended to be funny in its original form, um, to not steal its punchlines. Yeah, yeah. Um, I make sure in my, in my edits that uh, the joke that I'm making on screen is not the exact same joke that they were making before. I might recycle the punchline and make it the punchline to something different and, like, you know, change its meaning in the process. Um, but I won't, I won't just, you know, like, I, I, I won't steal their jokes. I won't put their jokes in the video largely unedited or where you get the exact same effect. 
Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I think I mean a recent example of that was with the Homestar Runner December Weenus video. I mean, Homestar mm-hmm. Runner is like constant punchlines, but you know, you, you're always uh, restructuring it, recontextualizing it to make it something a little different. Yeah, um, and as as much fun as it was to edit that video, I don't think I'll be revisiting Homestar Runner because it is just it is so dense with jokes, mm-hmm. and it really is walking on eggshells to not just like. Uh, you know, to to not break my own rule in that sense and to not, like, you know, turn their humor, uh, like, you know, just show other people their humor as though it's my own. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it's even it's funny to think about Homestead Runner in particular because that's almost, I feel there's a lot of crossover with that comedic sensibility and what developed into YouTube poops, as in, like, so many of the jokes are just characters saying catchphrases or just, like, you know, mm-hmm. just sounds sometimes. Like, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I really have not done the intellectual deep dive that I want to um, about Homestar Runner specifically and how it has shaped my own sense of humor because I I love Homestar Runner like when I was a like it was coming out when I was um, a kid but old enough to like know what was going on yeah um you know so like it it, it really it really struck a chord with me it was very like formative mm-hmm. uh, for how I think about a lot of jokes and things. And yeah, there are, there are a lot of parallels that can be drawn there, um, which weirdly uh, in, in my opinion, makes it a bad source. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I uploaded the, the Homestar Rudder YouTube poop that I did because, you know, I, I had already done so much with it. I wasn't going to let it to go, go to waste. But like, if I, if I could rewind time and pick a different source for Christmas time, I would have mm-hmm. um, because it's, it, it's already just so like, bonkers and off the wall and like you know sticks the landing so often um it's really hard to like make it anything new without just making it like weirder for the worse yeah um you know like it is it knows how weird it is and youtube poop by its nature will make things weirder yeah um i feel like if you were gonna go about doing something with Homestar Runner, you might have to do the opposite. You might have to, like, <laughs> try to arrange the words and characters and turn it into, like, this serious thing. Um, you know, like a lot of the uh, sort of uh, Garfield horror kind of memes we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, you would have to do something like that with it. And I don't think it lands the same <laughs> with uh, with Homestar Runner as it would for something like Garfield. That's true. Um, you know, I feel like Garfield has just enough of a connection to, like, reality where th- that dark shift feels a little more appropriate. Or with Homestar Runner, like, you can't... I, I don't know if you can make a sad character out of, like, Coach Z or something. I don't know. Uh. Yeah, it's... It's weird. It like it, and that's I guess the beauty of Homestar Runner is mm-hmm. that it can only be itself. Yeah, yeah, that's every, a good point. Like I, even outside of YouTube poop, every like fan work I've seen uh, based around Homestar Runner is either like adorably cringy because it was obviously made by a child, yeah, or it just ruins the tone and just doesn't feel like it just it just feels wrong. Like when people try to make. Uh, like super raunchy jokes with Homestar Runner, um, it 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 always it always falls flat. It always feels like like you didn't need to do this. You didn't need to make this joke. Yeah. Um, you know, like there was there was some like fan animation that somebody did that was like really well put together. Um, in terms of its animation and its and its style, like they nailed the style of Homestar Runner, like audio visually, mm-hmm. but like it it had like a lot of these weirdly sexual jokes in it. <laughs> 
and I think I think someone I think someone says the F word at some point and I'm just like this is just like wrong and I have no problem with that kind of humor in most cases like I'm not the kind of person you know you might you might think differently of me because uh part of the shtick of my YouTube channel is that things are relatively clean mm -hmm. uh, I have to I have to throw out the word relatively because I've been I've been pushing the boundaries a little <laughs> bit lately but um it would be excusable for you to think that I had a problem with like overly sexual humor or swearing or something, but I super don't. Those are the kinds of jokes that I make in my, in my daily life all of the time. Yeah. I have no ethical qualms with it. It's just something I, I choose to, uh, to do with my YouTube poops to, to set them apart is to not include that kind of stuff. Uh, but just man, with this parody, with this parody, I was just like, you don't need to make those jokes. What are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think especially with Homestar Runner, it, there's always a knowingness where, like, there's... A, it's like they know they could swear, they know they could make a sex joke or something, but there's always a kind of smirking, like, we know we don't have to do that type thing to it. And that's what... Yeah. And it, it feels like when someone breaks that, it's like they're missing the joke. That's like they're missing the very, like, kind of concept of a lot of the, the tone of the show. Uh, I, I specifically remember there's a, there's a bit in... Um, there, there's a, a mini thing that they did where they have the Homestar Runner characters dressed in um, Christmas themed costumes um, as though it were a Halloween episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're talking to, it starts and uh, Homestar, Homestar says something about like, oh, Strongman, I really like your costume. And Strongman's like, uh, I think, I think, I think this is supposed to be like Halloween, but it's December ween. I think we may have gotten our weens crossed and strong said, <laughs> just like, can you please never say that again? And I'm like, I love that. That's where their line is. They will say something that sounds like it's supposed to be questionable and have someone comment on how questionable it sounds. Mm -hmm. And then they leave it at that. And that is the whole joke. And it just, it works. It works. Yeah. Um, and that's part of why I enjoyed it so much as a kid is because I knew that my parents weren't going weren't gonna to be like, oh, I can't believe they're making that joke. Turn that off. You know, they were never going to, like, tell me to stop watching it. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, like, in that sense, it's, like, it takes some creativity to, to work around it because it's so easy to say, like, like, oh, it got our dicks crossed or something, like, as, you know. Right. And then it's just like, well, like, there you go. They, they said the funny word. Like, that's what we got. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a whole thing. But uh, I I I love Homestar Runner to death, and I could honestly talk about Homestar Runner all day, but I do not want to. <laughs> That's true. Um, well, we got we got the Homestar Runner appreciation section of the podcast out of the way. The <laughs> Homestar curating insight here. Right. Uh, I guess I guess the last thing I'll, I'll tie back into Homestar Runner is yeah. uh, that actually is where my username comes from. Uh, to things is uh, is a reference to a to a strong bad email. Oh, I see it. I can see it. Yeah, it's a uh, it's garage sale because like someone types out an email and they're like, I, I think they're they're just not really caring about how things are grammatically laid out and they're just like, think of all the things you could get with all that money. And Strong Bad makes fun of him. He's like, what kind of the things are we talking about? Da bomb, da boys. <laughs> um, and. And I, I know that I just said, oh, man, I, I don't like most Homestar Runner related fan works. Uh, but honestly, that username came from the fact that when I was definitely too young to be there, mm -hmm. I was on this like uh, Homestar Runner fan stuff site. Mm -hmm. um, and that was my username on there. And so I just like I just pulled that over because I figured it was a throwaway name. I didn't think that my YouTube channel was going to go anywhere. So I just kind of reused a username from elsewhere. And uh, 
whoops, now that's the thing people know, most know me by. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> the things. Oh, it's so good. I can see that. Well, it's funny that, you know, we're talking about Almost a Runner. One of the things you said was, you know, it can't help but be itself. And I think that's what's interesting about a great deal of your content is that there is this kind of through line where if I if someone just blind showed me a YouTube poop of yours that I just never seen, I could probably identify that it's yours. Not even from like the um, you know, you, you've the like digital art style that you sometimes come in, which was the first thing in your videos that kind of blew my mind was that you were like animated characters that showed up. And I was just like, oh, yeah. that was like, a, like, it was like, ah, man, it was, I think it was for one of the wow, it's maids or something where it's just a character mm -hmm. shows up for one, one joke. It does a thing goes around just like animated a whole thing for just one joke. Like <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, it's it's fun to throw those kind of things in. Uh, the the jokes tend to be very very shit posty. I'll just like Google search something, um, you know, and, and throw a picture of it on screen. But every now and again, if I feel compelled to, I might just like make my own little assets for it. Mm -hmm. um, especially for Wow, it's made because those that's that's a series that I I put like a lot of extra time into. Yeah. Um, because I I I know that people like really appreciate those ones. Um, and I want them to be good each time, so I I go out of my way <laughs> to make those ones special. Yeah, no, I mean, it, and it totally shows. And I, I just think it's interesting that, like, I guess it's, you could say it's the pacing, it's the the certain jokes you come back to as running gags and stuff, but there is just something intangible where it's just like, this is a The Things video. Like, there's no other way to, you know, it feels like that sensibility, you know, being being put out there. Well, I, I appreciate that, I really do. Um, and I think that that's true of, of most people who have been making YouTube poops for long enough, is uh, you can kind of tell... Um, the differences between them. Um, in fact, just today I was, I was watching, I, I just like was playing Minecraft and I just like had, had some YouTube poops kind of going in the background. I was revisiting a lot of like noise puppet stuff. Um, and, and eventually, um, you know, my, my recommended page was, was showing me like some CS188 stuff that I had seen already. And so I was like, yeah, I'll revisit some of those too. Um, and I noticed that even though the sources were similar, cause it was, it was specifically a CS video, um, where it was like some, some vintage commercials, mm -hmm. um, and noise puppet r really gravitates toward, you know, like vintage commercials and like, you know, a lot of like really old stuff, um, as a source material, but even just like, you know, watching those side by side, like there are so many ways in which I can tell not even just from like the visual style of the jokes, but even just down to some of the sentence mixing. I'm like, that sounds like a noise puppet <laughs> sentence mix versus that sounds like a CS sentence mix. Um, and I don't know if, uh, if anybody else is able to like tell those things in that level of minutia, maybe it's just because I've been following them for like a decade, but, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I, there really is a, a voice that comes out artistically, uh, in, in these kinds of videos. And it seems like there wouldn't be, yeah. <laughs> but, but there definitely is, uh, quite a bit of, quite a bit of that. Yeah. And like, and that's what, that's what's so interesting about it as a medium is that like, by the traditional definition, you know, it's quote unquote not yours, but if that personality seeps through, it's like, what else can it be, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I, I was thinking, it's like, so is there a kind of crossover in the way you approach something like a YouTube poop versus like a video essay or like a mashup album or something? Like, how does that process work for you in approaching those different things? And do you feel like there's crossover? Well, um, definitely there, there are commonalities between the YouTube poops and the mashups. Um, I have noticed a lot more that people are leaning into um, sentence mixing the vocal tracks of their mashups to make them sound funny, mm -hmm. um, which is a which is a style that is 
not necessarily originating with YouTube Poop, but definitely popularized by it. Um, and I love that, and I love seeing more of that. And I try to incorporate those kind of things into uh, my mashups as well. Um, but the headspace I'm in when I'm editing them is very different. Mm. Um, you know, I I don't go into making a mashup album with the same, like, kind of goals in mind. Um, if I happen to make a funny mashup, then that's great, um, and that's wonderful. But I, I don't sit down to do it thinking, all right, I'm going to make something that's funny like a YouTube poop is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, Because with, with the music mashups, um, really that is um, a way for me to... Uh, engage with the music that I listen to because I'm, I'm antsy. I always have this itch to, to do something. Um, and you know, I listen to a lot of music and you know, I, I have the same thoughts that I hope that a lot of other people have. Maybe it's just me and the select few people who also make mashups who have this process in our brains. But you know, we listen to a song and we think that sounds just like this other song or like you could sing that song over this. Um, and we're like seeing those commonalities and rather than, Um, you know, being really cynical and being like, oh man, that means they're not very original because they sound like each other. That means, you know, for us, that means like, no, no, no. That means like you could combine them. That means that like, um, you know, these, these songs like have, um, I, I'm, I'm going to say they have a harmony with each other, which obviously like not necessarily in the music theory Mm -hmm. sense, but in the like, you know, artistic sense, like they, 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 they work together. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's that's a nice and th- I guess there's another part of it that I've kind of uh, only recently internalized. And that's that um, part of me making mashups is to share music that I like in a fun way that I can pass off as original mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because I generally don't make mashups of songs that I don't otherwise enjoy. Most of the ideas I've had for them are either things that have just been in my brain forever or have come from me uh, looking at my own music library, which I uh, painstakingly sorted by key and looking at tracks and like playing them next to each other and like experimenting and see what sounds good uh, using stuff that I know that I already like (laughs) as my base. Um, And, you know, you could, you could judge my music taste all you want based on that. (laughs) But um, I just, I like a lot of, I like a lot of, uh, you know, pop shit. Yeah. <laughs> I like a lot of, I like a lot of just, you know, radio play earworm garbage. Mm-hmm. Uh, sue me. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, so like when I, uh, there was, there was one in particular, uh, it was, uh, it was called toxic wall. It was on, uh, it was on feels time. Yeah, it was yeah. a track that was, um, the backing track was from the video game transistor oh. and the, and the, uh, vocal track was, uh, Britney Spears toxic. Um, and that that mashup worked well enough, but I I feel like the primary reason I made that mashup and included it on there was just to put the soundtrack of Transistor in people's minds because <laughs> I feel like people don't talk about that enough. Like, uh, it's the same people who made the video game Hades, and like everything they make is is gold. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Transistor has a has a very special place in my heart. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's like, and it's funny how you bring up the the notion of creating out of just wanting to share music because just that notion of just wanting to share music it feels like that bleeds into so many things i mean if you look at the movies mm-hmm. of like quentin tarantino wes anderson they're like so many scenes in their movies are clearly it's like oh they, they liked that song and we're just like i'm basing a whole sequence around this song you know and i think well and this is just something i've in particular have been um kind of obsessed with lately and then when i, when I listened to your your feels time album I, it was on my mind um the moby album play that 
you know, kind of snuck in and, like, became, like, this huge hit in the early 2000s, that's basically just a weird kind of mashup-type album because it's him putting pretty basic, uh, you know, electronic, whatever, backings over just folk music he thought was interesting that he found in this anthology. And I was just like, man, like, that, that kind of stuff just seeps in everywhere, you know? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I wonder how much of that uh, goes into, like, uh, like the work of the avalanches. Mm-hmm. Um they they've got the um especially uh their album uh since i left you which i have on vinyl it's one of the only albums i have on vinyl nice um it is uh just the entire basis of everything is that like it's all just samples on samples on samples um but it is still very artistically unique from the things it's based on um, I feel like a layperson would go in not really recognizing very much, if any, of the tracks that are sampled in that album. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that is very noticeable and re- very recognizable is the bass line to uh, Holiday by Madonna. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but even when that happens in the context of that album, it does not feel the same as it does for Madonna. And, you know, you hear it and you might think to yourself, you might think of the fun fact like, oh yeah, that's the Madonna bass line. But... In that context, it does not feel like Madonna. It it is the avalanches through and through. Yeah. Um, because they've done so much to it and changed it, uh, you know, and done all these extra things on top of it to to really give it new meaning. Um, and that's what I love to do with YouTube poop is I is I want to make sure that I am adding to my sources and changing them and giving them um, a new enough angle to justify existing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell anybody that their stuff shouldn't exist if they don't do that too. <laughs> um, I think that's just, I think that's just a personal thing. I think that's just in order for me to be happy with my own work, mm-hmm. I have to be able to justify that it exists. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and uh, there's this quote that's been on, like, uh, it's on my mind when you mentioned that is, um, Paul Thomas Anderson said recently when he used Life on Mars in Licorice Pizza, he's just like, it's like, when you use a song that's like that cinematic, it's like it's so easy to just coast and be like, okay, now the song is carrying my work, you know. Or even and like mm-hmm. if you could send that to a YouTube poop, it's like the if you use a Homestar Runner joke, it's like, well, n- now my work is now kind of just an excuse to carry this thing that exists. And yeah, like I, I totally see that about like trying to justify its existence. Like, what new are you adding to the table that is you know, going to inspire more art and, and is in itself mm-hmm. new art, you know? Yeah, I totally see that. Yeah, and uh, I, I guess, I guess, yeah, that sums up pretty nicely why uh, I don't think I'll revisit Homestar Runner as a YouTube <laughs> source is because I don't, I don't think I have anything to add to it, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think I have anything uh, that I can change it into uh, for me to be happy with it. Um, whereas, uh, it's a lot more fun for me to take uh, things that were never meant to be funny, mm-hmm. um, and. Or, or I think, I think the, the best balance is something that is meant to be like just a little bit funny. Mm-hmm. Um, the, a, a good example, uh, I made a video called eighties Mercedes. And, uh, in that the source material is, um, an employee training video for, uh, Mercedes Benz. Um, and that is meant to be mostly serious, but 
like you still have like clips of people like making like little casual jokes at each other and i think i think the uh i think the narrator guy tries to make a pun at one point um you know so like just just that little amount of like you know <laughs> this person is receptive to the idea of humor but the thing you're watching itself isn't humorous i love milking those moments um and like just tur- just turning it into something ridiculous um and that always like reads pretty funny because of that contrast. Most comedy is based in contrast of a sort. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have like uh, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember the the, the technical terms, but I, I know you've basically got like uh, a buffoon and a straight man mm-hmm. in a lot of in a lot of like classic comedy stuff because there needs to be um, a conflict. There needs to be a contrast in order for the humor to work. Um, and with YouTube poop, because by nature it makes everything weirder, um, it lands best when you take something that isn't very weird and you make it weird. Um, or if you're really good at it, taking something that's really weird and making it normal <laughs> and make, or making it, making it dark. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I'm, 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 I don't mean to, I don't mean to, uh, shift gears or, or mm. go back to a previous talking point but I, I remembered that you you had specifically asked me if there's any like crossover between what i do on uh in youtube poops and what i do with mashups mm-hmm. um and uh the 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 one thing that i forgot to say about that is um yes definitely uh because uh the the new mashup collection which i i don't know when i'm gonna release it it just depends on uh when i feel like i have enough to to release a new collection but it's going to just straight up have all i want to beer on it just as a track <laughs> Um, you know, like it's not really that different from the YouTube poop upload. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, it's got some tweaks here and there to like, you know, make it sound better in your ears as, as a song. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but ultimately it's just like the exact same thing. <laughs> uh, it's just ripped from that timeline. Um, you know, so like, yeah, the, there is, there is definitely crossover in that sense. Um, I, I like to throw references to my work across some of my other work. And, um, I think, I think maybe, uh, more interestingly, I also do uh, video essays. I also, uh, from time to time, will make these short form, like media analysis videos. I, I say short form; they're they could be pretty long. I don't know why I said <laughs> short form. They're definitely not short form. They're very long. Um, but um, you know, it's it's it feels weird to go back and forth between those two spaces because, like, in one of those kind of scripts, I do feel at liberty to like make jokes, but those jokes, I feel, have to be a little more traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that it necessarily needs to be that way. I think I could uh, do some more of my like weird off-the-wall editing humor if I really wanted to, but uh, marrying the two has been very difficult, and so I've just kind of defaulted to making it a regular script <laughs> um, that has like a couple of jokes where I feel that they're appropriate, um, and like maybe an editing gag if I feel like it can just... like happen and then we can like go go back into it without uh without skipping too many beats but um you know the mashups are a separate kind of remix art Mm -hmm. but you know it's that's a very natural crossover that that has with youtube poop because they're both just very transformative things whereas with the media analysis um i am adding commentary to what i am seeing yeah um but i am not editing what i am seeing um so it doesn't feel like there's that much crossover there. Um, and it's nice to get to do both because, uh, you know, they, they scratch very different itches for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but um, I it's it is it is very strange, and I understand why it's a hard sell because yeah. <laughs> um, you know most people who know the work that I do they know the YouTube poops. Um, so when I when I say hey, I also have this other side project that is literally nothing like YouTube poops. And, and you have to look at my face and listen to my voice while you while you uh, take it in because you can't do that with the YouTube poops or not that you can't but you don't mm-hmm. you don't with the YouTube poops you're just seeing you're just seeing the art you're not seeing anything else but with those media analysis things uh, you know you you have it, it is a little more personal and a lot of people don't like that mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of, and that's fine they like that that's not a problem it's just uh, it's just kind of like difficult to to get people to to move from that one set of things to this other set of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's interesting what we were talking about earlier about editing being transformative. And I think in those video essays in particular, you almost want to be as non-transformative as possible with the source. The thing that you are making transformative is your commentary and your, you know, mm-hmm. is your discussion of the source. Because, like, in the way you edit in the clips, it's mostly to establish an understanding, like, you know, a pretty basic... Um, kind of flow to the video and what the source is doing, you know, like to accompany your commentary. And so, yeah, and that, that's interesting to think about how it's almost the flip side, where like if you were to just isolate all the clips in a video essay and upload it as a YouTube poop, it'd be awful because then it's just the source with, you know, kind of abridged as quickly as possible. Which, it, yeah. And that's, it's a, to use the word abridged there, it's even, it's funny how, in a way, that's kind of what an abridged series is in terms of like mm-hmm, breaking yeah. down, like trying to establish a narrative, although those are usually pretty transformative with the narrative. But I mean, in the basic sense, it's like mm-hmm. what's transformative is the commentary rather than the actual editing itself, which is, you know, where the mediums differ there. Right, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that I think that there is a lot to be said of transformative art um, and the the goals are very different um, you know, with what different people on YouTube are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, uh, there is another YouTuber, uh, called Hugbees who does a series called how it's actually made, <laughs> um, which a lot of people will like draw comparisons to my YouTube series. Wow. It's made because, you know, they both pull from the same source. Yeah. Um, but they are so very different, um, just in their, in their style, in their substance, in their delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause with how it's actually made, You have um, just, like, mostly the raw, sometimes edited, sometimes edited here and there to accompany the commentary, but it's mostly just, like, the raw video from the episode showing people in in factories or in, you know, other, like, manufacturing plants um, making things, and then the commentary is, like, you know, uh, ascribing, um, like, life to inanimate objects or, um, you know, making assumptions about how the workers feel as they're doing stuff. And so there are some parallels that can be made uh, between the two things, because I'm also making a lot of jokes about how, like, how the how the workers are being treated. It's <laughs> rarely ever well, um, and you know, sometimes talking about like the, you know, ascribing the life to inanimate objects and stuff. Um, but just the the style and the way we go about it is just so fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I think I think also a lot of people are expecting me to make YouTube poops of how it's actually made. <laughs> um, and, you know, same problem. That is already, like, pretty, like, funny on its own. 
and it, it it's its own thing and it's already transformative in its own way. And for me to add my own layers on top of that, I don't think would be like saying anything. I don't think that I could justify that existing. Yeah. Even if I even if I did what many would consider to be like a good job at it, I don't I don't think I could. Also, Hugbees is pretty awesome. Hugbees uh, has has commented on a number of the of the Wow It's Maids and shown support over there, and that's pretty cool too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I I can totally see that, and I think. Like in terms of yeah, just in transformative things, just the feeling of unearth uh, like unearthing something and being like, people don't see the value in whatever this specific thing is, or like don't see it in the way I do. Here, here's how you can view it through this lens. I now have a sensitivity to. That's like, I don't know. That, that, that's a bit, that's a big part of it. I can I can totally see that. Yeah, I th- I think that there's a a balance that one has to strike when you're doing, um, any kind of. Uh, transformative art or or media criticism one of the things they have in common is that you have um a responsibility to your viewers to welcome them into that space Mm -hmm. and to not judge them for either for like being outside of it or for interpreting things a different way and that's something i really strive to especially with the video essays uh, do is to is to make sure that people understand that like my views on a thing are not like the view that you should have um and the reason i go to the trouble of making a video essay about it is not necessarily to convince people uh that that my view of it is right or to um you know say that they're they're wrong for thinking about it differently but just to say hey here's a conclusion that i came to and to the best of my ability here's why i came to it and why that uh conclusion and this view of it is valuable, mm-hmm. um, at least to me. Um, and I think most people are, are good about those kind of things and they walk away from it and they and they think like, yeah, you know, like the people are allowed to still enjoy things that I have problems with. Um, and they're and they're allowed to dislike things that I find value in. Um, and I think most people get that. But every now and again, you get someone who just who, in spite of my best efforts, <laughs> will just insist that uh, that I that I'm like trying to be like holier than thou and i'm trying to like you know make make my opinion the the right one mm-hmm. uh which i don't really do and uh, it's the same with youtube poop in a way um i think a lot of people assume that because you're transforming other media it must mean that you don't respect that media mm-hmm. it must mean that you're like trying to replace it with your own version and that's super not what's happening yeah. i in um approximately equal measure uh make youtube poops out of stuff that i do and don't care about Mm -hmm. um you know i i had you know like a homestar runner love homestar runner of course i made a youtube poop out of that because i have fucking encyclopedic knowledge of homestar runner (laughs) um but i you know i i also have made youtube poops of things that i don't really care much for um there is i'm trying to think of like a recent example um like the tv show cutthroat kitchen Mm -hmm. um I don't have any problem with Cutthroat Kitchen. I think it's a fine TV show, but I watched one episode of it um, and I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to watch any more of this, <laughs> but it would make for a great source. Um, you know, so like, and we have to make fun of things that we like. And uh, we also have to understand that just because somebody's making fun of something or like, you know, cracking jokes about it doesn't mean that they are throwing the entire thing away. Um and I, I'm so glad to see that we are culturally, just just in in the broad strokes, moving toward that understanding about media. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot more like nuanced conversations about about it happening than there used to be, at least from from my own perspective. Um, but there is it's 
it's getting better. Mm-hmm. It's getting better culturally um, with with regards to nuance. But man, there are just there are just some people who feel so compelled to be right. Yeah. To who feel so who feel it's so important to have the right opinion about something mm-hmm. that it's a threat whenever somebody like tries to argue against that. Yeah. Um, and that that kind of it sucks to deal with because there's like there's no there's no changing the mind of anybody like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't seek to change minds about very many things, but I feel like we need to have a basic uh, respect for other people um, and to be able to uh, take things, especially media, as they are. Uh, rather than rather than uh, ascribing like scores to them all the time, yep. and uh, you know like making making uh, wholesale dismissals of them when there's something good to be taken out of it, um, or accepting things even though there's like some pretty yike stuff about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and in the way you say we're moving away from that, like that whole era of like early kind of YouTube film criticism of like, I don't know. It's just where it's literally just like the, this movie is bad and this, and like, and they kind of just start out with that mindset and then just kind of make fun of it. And mm-hmm. that kind of stuff is just like, it's, it's not even conducive to conversation. You know, it's, it just feels like they're, they're not really engaging with the work. I think you said this in one of your video essays where it's like the best way to engage with a work of art, or at least, you know, something, I think we have both found conducive to positive engagement is to consider it as its concept. So that's why, like, I always don't like the idea of, like, this is good acting or this is good cinematography. It's like, well, it suits what the director was trying to do. Like, I've seen, like, some of my favorite films look like they're shot on, like, home camcorders. And some movies I've absolutely hated look traditionally beautiful with, like, these crazy setups. So it's like... Yeah, it's, it's that notion of, like, what is this thing trying to accomplish and how does it accomplish it rather than being, like, does this fit in my view of what is good, you know? Yeah, um, and that, and, um, you know, I, I do I do think that generally we should uh, weigh art against its goals if we're going to make any sort of judgment call about how, like, good they are, um, you know. and But even, even since, uh, even since putting that, idea out there in in the video essay where that happened i um you know i've also been more receptive to the idea that like things can also accomplish things outside of their own goals and those are okay to talk about Mm -hmm. too yeah yeah um you know i i have been very interested lately in hearing people's like uh queer readings of stories that weren't necessarily written uh about or by queer people um, I think that those are really fascinating because, like, yeah, uh, something isn't necessarily, like, uh, like take, uh, a lot of my friends have been into Loop on the Third lately. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I it's very possible and, in fact, likely that the creators of, you know, the, the original, like, Loop on the Third, like, manga series um, had no intention of appealing to uh, queer people and you know, like, or, or having them particularly find any value or relatability in their characters and their dynamics and stuff. However, regardless of whether that was the intent, that's happening. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's good to talk about that happening. Yeah. Um, because I think that that's something that, like, a lot of people find joy and, and value in for themselves 
Um, and I don't think that they should be shamed out of a good thing. Yeah. No, absolutely. And yeah, I guess I didn't mean to bring in like intent into that because like I, I do like it's like, well, whatever someone intends with the work, there are so many great works of art that are totally different from the creator's intentions. And yeah, that's a really good point about like how you can be inspired by a work that's like, well, I mean, take the whole like the, the whole phenomenon of bronydom, like the, the whole point of that wasn't necessarily to take the work like out of its original context, but to just appreciate something outside of its what was definitely the marketed intended group, I think. Yeah. Yeah, there's um there there's definitely a lot to be said about that as well. Um I was I was a part of that for a while and uh it was um definitely definitely not all it was cracked up to be. Same, yeah, um, I feel I, that. I I think that like you know, I'm I'm not gonna like call bronies out as a group because I feel like that's disingenuous to to you know the people that I met and the friends that I've made through that fandom. A lot mm. of whom I am still friends with today. Um, but you know, I think that it really I think it propped itself up as being like more about <laughs> uh, love and tolerance and kindness than it actually was. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, it it taught a handful of us to um, you know be more receptive to the needs of others but for uh, but for a lot of bronies it was just a, a fun thing to do ironically yeah. and um as soon as uh people started like as soon as it started becoming safer for uh people to be like openly queer online mm -hmm. a lot of the people who were in that brony fandom like just super just super heel turned mm -hmm. and and just you know were like oh well it was it was never about actually giving a shit about people. It was always about watching the funny uh, pony cartoon that made me horny for some reason. And I'm like, OK, all right, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, you know, so it, it eh, I don't want to I don't want to draw the I don't want to draw the ire of bronies today. I think that like most most of them are, are fine. Uh, but like it, it is kind of disappointing when you see a fandom that like really takes on um something so like positive as uh you know like including people and stepping outside of the boundaries of social norms and like where that is its whole thing and its whole iconography and you know then to find out that so many of the people involved in it like super didn't feel that way about it at all and live live a life that is antithetical to that philosophy uh that's it's very disappointing yeah well and any sort of like kind of I wouldn't call it a fad, but like that sort of like group identification thing, people are always going to just take it as another way to, to stir shit up and be divisive and stuff like that. And yeah, like that's not what it was. Like to me, when I got into it, it was just like, here's an opportunity to talk with people about a work that is like happening you know it's like, like to be part of an active discussion about that stuff because that's my thing i like talking about art and shit with people and I, I thought it was a great opportunity for that but yeah just that notion of like people using this opportunity as a way to just you know pick on people which i mean people always find ways to do i don't know it's a, right it's a classic thing but um yeah in terms of in like intent and stuff like that um yeah, like, if you can bring people together in, in, like, in a way, even if you don't intend it, that's, like, I mean, people try to do that and fail so much, so if you can do that regardless, uh, that's, like, that's, that's a good thing to do. Mm-hmm.
Um, and to and to sort of tie that back into YouTube poop a little bit, um, I have recognized a lot of not so great patterns in in the sort of broad YouTube poop community. Mm-hmm. It's not really much of a community. It's kind of it's not quite accurate to call it that, but there's not really a better word for it because YouTube poop kind of exists in a series of mostly separate circles that have like a little bit tying them together. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I found that a lot of people, because of the nature of YouTube poop and because um, it embraces uh, making things weird and being transformative and changing meaning, um, they find that YouTube poop is um, a, an appropriate source, uh, an, an appropriate venue, I should mm-hmm. say, to uh, belittle people and to make jokes that uh, you know, are taboo for a reason. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a- a- people who like fancy themselves, like just being edgy, but in reality are, are saying things and, uh, propagating ideas that do actual real world harm. Um, and so part of my own personal philosophy when it comes to making the YouTube poops that I do Um, you know, I've said before, I don't have any problems with like sexual humor and like adult humor and stuff. I think that that's fine. Um, you know, but I don't include that in, in my videos and that's kind of just the way it's always been. Um, but more specifically, I've made a point in recent years to not make jokes that like punch down on people who don't deserve it. Um, you know, like I, uh, have made like jokes in some of my videos that were, uh, super not appropriate for me to make that were, you know, like I, I've, I've, there have been some jokes that are like pretty racist. <laughs> there have been some jokes that are like, um, you know, pretty insensitive to, to marginalize people across the board. Um, and I, I, I'm willing to forgive myself a little bit because like, I, I kind of didn't really know what I was doing and I didn't like actualize what that harm was, mm-hmm. um, and have been taking steps to like fix it. Um, you know, some of the, some of the more, some of the most questionable stuff like has been removed from the channel and I've like re-edited it without those jokes and uploaded it elsewhere. Um, so that like they can stay for posterity's sake, but they don't continue to do harm. Um, you know, but at the same time, like I have, I have done that and I've made those, those kinds of jokes. Um, and so I, I think that there's a very stark difference between making those kind of jokes and realizing it and, you know, like owning up to it and trying to make it right. Versus making those kind of jokes and then, like, trying to build up whatever defense you possibly can. Like, oh, people need to not be so sensitive. Or, like, I'm, I'm just being edgy. Like, every everything we do means something. Um, you know, just because YouTube poops uh, are, you know, considered low art. <laughs> and they're, they're kind of shit posts. And you don't necessarily need to put a ton of effort into them in order for them to be good. Um it doesn't mean you get like a free pass to just like, you know, do whatever you want with them uh, and not receive any criticism for mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, you'd like, you're basically free to do whatever you want, I guess. But I, I think a lot of people conflate arguments about free speech with arguments about the consequences of your speech yeah. and the ethics of that speech. Um You know, I will, I will fight night and day for somebody's uh, right to be able to like, make a racist joke, but I will not fight <laughs> for that joke. Yeah. I will not, um, you know, fight for that person being defended from any and all consequences that arise from it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, 
So I so I've made a point to try to make my stuff a little more a little more inclusive, not solely to avoid making those jokes. It's not like I think of them uh, and and I'm like, oh man, I can't say that because people will get mad. Like it's it's reached a point I don't even think about it anymore. Like it's just it's just it doesn't even pop into my head because my mind is in an empathetic place. It is in a place that does not seek to um, to put people down, um, especially marginalized groups. Um, and also that, that has to take a proactive approach as well. Like I have to also make a point to not um, just include uh, people who look and sound like me all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to do because uh, so much of media, especially in the United States, is just very white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, so I, I feel like, I could I could be doing better, but also like society could be doing better. Society could give me more to work with, to be <laughs> honest. Um, you know, uh, but there, there's there's a lot of elements of my own personal philosophies that bleed into this work that feels like it should be mindless, but I, I'm trying to be mindful about it anyway mm-hmm. um, because I see the value in it, and uh, I see the value that other people see in it, not you know, with the precision that they do, but I recognize that my videos mean a lot to people. They are things that they go to for comfort. And, um, when they're, when they're having a bad time, they go out of their way to like find and look up. And that is, that means a lot to me. And I do not take that lightly. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure that, um, it's a space that everyone can, uh, enjoy and appreciate. Yeah. And, and like, in, in the way, like the way you say that, like, make something that everyone can enjoy like of course that doesn't mean like watering down your sensibility trying to you know appeal to everyone it means making something that doesn't alienate people and isn't meant to you know marginalize people like you said you know and again like right yeah i I really like that um the thing you made where it's like you'll defend the right for people to be able to say what they want but to to look at what they say is a different story, you know? And that's the thing, like, you can't hide behind free speech as a way to, you know, get around being an awful person. Right. Yeah, it's like, you you, you are free to... Uh, <laughs> you are free to say that you hate certain kinds of people, uh, but I'm also free to say that you're an asshole for saying it. Yeah, exactly, you know, and that's the best way to look at it. And it, it's not even a question of really, like, what people are quote-unquote offended by because people will misinterpret stuff all the time people will you know misread things it's more so about making sh- sure the, the way you express yourself is consistent with your with your own perspective on things that you hopefully try to make right you know and um mm-hmm. yeah that's a really good way to put it like because like this is just a personal example this is so stupid my like most popular anime music video i made on youtube was this um Baku no Pico video that I made oh God. <laughs> right? I made to be as as like um as played straight as possible like, like I used this really dramatic folk song because I saw a weird wistful sadness in the depiction of Baku no Pico and there's there's no one in the town there's all these weird shots of the main guy just looking sad and I'm just like why is this and, and so I made this thing and it it kind of pissed some people off but and and again like i know why i made it i don't want to condone anything that may happen in baku no pico right i was just trying to highlight a certain thing but like in in hindsight 
I can see why people may have thought those certain things. And so, like, I try to make myself a little more clear in those ways now. But, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like, again, like, when it comes to that sort of self-reflection thing and seeing, like, well, what, what have I put out into the world and what does that say about me? Your own perspective on it is, uh, is a big help. Yeah, uh, I, I appreciate that. Um, I... It also it also comes down to uh, picking and choosing my sources. You know, mm -hmm. I have to be mindful about that as well because while a YouTube poop is not an endorsement, um, it there are uh, going to be a non-zero number of people who will check out the things you make a YouTube poop of because they saw it in a YouTube poop and they're curious about the source. Um, you know, so I I try my best to not like lead people into things that I think will be harmful for them um, or to like enable. Uh, other creators who are, you know, actively doing harm. Um, you know, there's... Uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. Well, um, I mean, I think a recent example, though, wasn't a YouTube poop, but that video essay you did on that um, Christian reggae album. I forget the title. But, yeah. But that was a great examination of that sort of thing, where you had this work that you grew up with and enjoyed, and you wanted to share this thing, but the more you looked into it, you were just like, I don't know if I want to bring this, bring people to this thing, you know? Right, yeah. Um, that's, that's, that is another example. I wish I had something more concrete to say about it. <laughs> um, you know, I think I, I think I really said everything oh, I yeah, could, yeah. even though the thesis ended up being, like, there is a lot to unpack here, and I think it's okay that I don't know everything. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, like I made uh, one of my more popular videos is a YouTube poop of of JonTron, mm -hmm. um, and without getting into everything, uh, I don't I don't really care for JonTron. Mm -hmm. uh, I I think that he's uh, lost a lot of goodwill uh, for me personally, and so like I don't want to make another JonTron YouTube poop, even though I know that like most people understand, uh, or you know maybe not like most people, but you know the, the people who. Uh, understand like what's what's the matter with JonTron will already be inclined to not go watch his stuff because I posted about it uh to to a lot of people online he's just a funny guy on the internet and you know some people are making a big deal about uh things that shouldn't affect uh what he does and like how he's perceived and stuff whereas like I I don't have that same opinion mm -hmm. um so like not gonna make any JonTron YouTube poops um as a result of that and um I wouldn't want to make a YouTube poop of uh, something like Ancient Aliens without doing everything that I did in the video that I did of Ancient Aliens. Yeah. Um, you know, because, like, it's it's kind of memed on how <laughs> absurd that show is and its premise and stuff. But the fact that it's still going, like, when you just strip it away of all the jokes and memes and stuff, like, the fact that that show is still going and it's still spreading the uh, misinformation that it is, <laughs> is, like, really gross. Um you know, so, like, I have a disclaimer at the start of the thing. I have jokes littered throughout the video that super heavily imply that these that these people have no fucking clue what they're talking about, because they really don't. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, and I want to make sure that that's, like, clear. And I could probably do something like that with, with JonTron, but the difference is that, like, it's not obvious. It's not obvious uh, to the layperson with JonTron. They have to look into it to find out those kind of things, whereas with Ancient Aliens, it's self-evident. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, like... And I'm sure you could find examples of things that I that I've like indirectly led people to to go see that have their problematic elements. I mean, I, I have no doubt <laughs> that um, you know, in the future when uh, there are enough people who think I've gotten too big for my britches, they're gonna go back and they're gonna listen to podcasts like this one, and they're gonna find 
uh, you know, me saying these, you know, talking myself up in all these ways and find examples of when that turned out to not be true. And they're right. <laughs> I've, I've, I've fucked up uh, in a lot of things and I've done uh, a lot of stuff that's really inconsistent with my own worldview, but uh, I am trying. And that is, uh, and I think that that's the best any of us can do right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's about like considering like, you know, summing up a person's mistakes is usually not the best way to judge someone's, you know, as a person. I think, like, you know, it's better to consider what they seem to be expressing at their core and whether they've, you know, went against that or, or continued in a positive direction. And, yeah, I totally see that. That's, that's, a, great, that's a great way to, way to put that. Just for a total... Wait, is there anything else, like, while we're here at this topic, is there anything else you wanted to say before I switch gears? Or Um... I not on that subject. I think I've I think I've I think I've said my piece on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I I'm wondering, is there any works in particular like you you look back really fondly on or like that's that's one I'm happy with, you know, gaining mm-hmm. traction. Um, yeah. Uh, so there's a there's a video. I I haven't revisited it recently. Mm. Um, and I think my opinions might change on it. If I do, I think I might have watched it like once in the last year, but it's a it's a video I made called uh, Stephen Bribes for Seven Broths. <laughs> um, and it is it is a YouTube poop of uh, the movie musical from the 1950s, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, which is. Um, I, I don't I, I let's just say I wouldn't give it as glowing of a review today as I did when I made that video. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, I think that that was a YouTube poop of mine that I think holds up really well. I think it's one that, like, I, I did a good job with. I remember when I was making it that um, I set a goal of uh, not including anything where somebody has to get the reference in order for something to be funny. Like, I made a point to make jokes that, like, you don't have to have seen something prior in order for the joke to make sense. Um, you know, like Careless Whisper plays at one point. Um, so like, it's a little funnier if you know the song Careless Whisper, I guess, but it still just kind of got like a sexy saxophone vibes. And that's the joke is that like, oh, it's just like some sexy music. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I think, I think that one is one of the ones that I I remember pretty fondly, um, as being one of my favorite ones that I made, but we're approaching, we're approaching 10 years on that one. (laughs) So, um, if, if I, uh if somebody comes up to me and they're, and they want to see something more recent that I've made that I've, uh, that I'm proud of, um, then I, I show them the, the Jeopardy's tooth videos. Yeah. Um, I, I love those ones. I really think I, I hit it out of the park with those. Um, they don't have like exceptionally more views than anything else I've made. They have like an average, uh, number of views. So it's not like everybody else seems to agree on that, but I, I love that one. And I think that that I, all three of them, actually, I, I love all three of the, the Jeopardy ones that I made. Yeah. Um, they're just, they're very fun and they, they work. I, I feel like I really squeezed the Jeopardy format of everything I've got mm-hmm. um, with it. And I, I feel like I've really left no stone unturned when it comes to the kinds of jokes I wanted to make. It really just is everything I've ever wanted to, uh, every joke I've ever wanted to make about Jeopardy <laughs> um, is there. Um, the full encyclopedia of Jeopardy jokes right on display for everyone. That's so good. <laughs> right. Um, the, uh, and, and to, and something that's an example of the opposite of that, um, 24601 releases a sandwich on parole. I don't like that one. <laughs> I, I'm very disappointed with how that one turned out. Um, that was one that like, <clears throat> 
I kind of just threw together in an afternoon, mm -hmm. and yet that is my most popular video, and it's not even close. Why? <laughs> so, like, why do you think that one took off? Because that was when I discovered late in your video. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. I looked at the view. I was like, wow. Like, what? How did? What happened? Uh, I think I think it was just right place, right time. Mm. Um, you know, uh, the the movie had come out just just a matter of months prior. Um, and it was getting a lot of attention for just being a very, like, shitty adaptation um, of a stage musical to film. Um, and I don't disagree. I think I liked it more than most people did. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't I don't disagree that it's a bad adaptation. Yeah. Um, but, you know, specifically with regards to, like, Russell Crowe's uh, voice performance. So I think everyone was just, like, ready for yeah. it uh, at the time. I think everyone was just, like, like it, it was it was something that the Internet really latched on to. Uh, because it just it seemed like such a good fit yeah. <laughs> to to really just mess with it in this way. And if I had known if I if I had calculated that and had and had any inkling that it was going to take off like it did, um, I would have put more effort into it. <laughs> I would have made it longer. I would have done some like some stuff with uh, other scenes in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, but alas, uh, it's it's the funny Javert eats a sandwich video that, <laughs> that everybody seems to like. Um, and uh you know, I, I made a follow up. I made a sequel to that one that's not gotten nearly the same reception, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, like, I, I don't think that that one's like much better necessarily. <laughs> um, but that's yeah, sometimes it's it's hit or miss. Sometimes I'll make something that feels like my absolute magnum opus and I couldn't be prouder of it. And I'm so happy to send it off to the world. And it gets, you know, like an OK reception. Um and then sometimes I'll just like whip something together and be like, ah, I, don't, I don't fucking know. Here you go. And everybody would be like, this is the greatest thing you've ever made. Um, you know, I, I will always have different opinions than the majority of my audience. And that's just going to have to be okay. That's part of, that's part of my creative voice, I guess. Yeah. yeah no, that's good. And so I wonder, what do you think was like the first video you made where it's like, I can do YouTube poops. Like this is like, I don't know, the, the first one you felt where it's like, this is good or whatever. Did, did you remember what that might've been? Well, um, I'm going to, I'm going to give you, uh, two examples. Okay. Um, the first example is, is a YouTube poop called the great. <laughs> and I think I might've removed it. I think it still has to be uh, re-uploaded, but it, that was one I made in like 2009. Wow. And I thought, I thought that was the shit. I thought <laughs> like, oh, I've, I've, I'm such a natural at this. I'm so good at making these videos. It is one of the worst videos I've made. <laughs> like I, I. I know that everything is subjective, mm -hmm. but like comparing it to anything I've made within the last five years, it is garbage. It is so bad. And I was so full of myself for thinking that, um, the, uh, and, and I guess the, the second example, um, was called, uh, Wilfred Brimley loses the game. <laughs> um, and that was one that, um, I was like pretty proud of. I didn't think a whole lot extra of it, but, um, my siblings, this, this was the first video of mine that I did not show to my siblings, mm -hmm. but my siblings came back to me oh. and were like, this is really good. <laughs> like, this is really funny. How did you, how did you think of these jokes? Um, you know, and it only kind of improved from there. And that was, and that one was in like 2010, I want to say, mm -hmm. um, maybe early 2011, I forget. But, um, yeah, I, I think that like. I am more open to uh, the external validation sometimes. I Unfortunately, I'm one of those people who runs on feedback. And if I don't get feedback on something, then I start to panic. <laughs> um, you know, so like, uh, I, I think that finally getting that 
external feedback made me more confident that I actually was on the right track to something mm -hmm. than the the very like self-fulfilled narcissistic feedback I was giving myself before <laughs> that. Um, and you know, I it's been a whole decade, so I've had so much time to really weigh what uh, the art means to me, uh, what it means to other people, and you know, consolidate all of that and form my own opinions about it. And you know, now. Um, I don't feel bad for being proud of something that I've made. Yeah. Um, I, I, and sometimes I make something that like, isn't my best, but I think people will want to see anyway. Um, and I've also come to terms with that, that like not everything I make has to be perfect mm -hmm. and that things can still have value to others, even if they're not meeting uh, my own needs. And that's, that's also fine. Yeah. Especially now that, especially now that videos uh, are, the biggest part of my full-time job. I have to be okay with that because uh, I can't just sit on a project forever until it's pristine because uh, people will uh, go watch something else in the meantime. And that's, and attention is currency and all that. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And like, so in that way, like has your process changed with, with making videos too, since you've been kind of like moving to it as like your profession? Uh, I don't know if I would go so far as to say profession is. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know the but, word. But um, definitely, definitely, elements of my process have changed um, because for the majority of uh, the time that I've spent making these videos, it was just a matter of like every now and again, without rhyme or reason, I would get the impulse to start editing. Um, and I would just do it until I was done or I was uh, satisfied and then upload it and, you know, rinse and repeat. Um, and that was just kind of it. And, um, and I would, and of course I would like read the comments and stuff and like, you know, get feedback on it and really try to like work on that as a side thing. But I was content with it being, um, a side thing, um, that, you know, I didn't do as my living or as my primary uh, means of expressing myself but was just kind of there mm -hmm. and um since moving to doing it full time which you know uh long story short pandemic happened uh, i got fired from my job uh but my job also uh was really in need of hands at the end of there so they offered a bunch of overtime so i got in on that and built up a bunch of savings so that i could afford to try doing this full time mm -hmm. um so since having that opportunity, I have had to change uh, parts of my process. I have had to uh, more often sit down with the intent to edit whether or not I'm in the headspace for it because it needs to get done. Yeah. Um, and I found sometimes, like, like more often than not, it really is just a matter of having the willpower to just do it. Um, like, I, I fear that if I'm not in the mindset of making a YouTube poop that I'm not going to be as good at it when I do it. But, like, once I get in the rhythm, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Um. But my process, uh, because I've been trying to make them every week or two lately, um, has definitely changed. And I've been feeling um, the different, like, waves of the creative process uh, much more quickly back to back. Um, you know, because it used to be, like, I would spend a week not thinking about the YouTube poops. And then I would spend a week, like, with an idea in mind. And then a week, like, editing and, and doing stuff. And then I would have, like, a like a slump period where I thought it wasn't very good. And then it would spring back up into, like, oh, no, wait, it actually is pretty good. I actually am starting to, like, get really happy with it. And then I would just, like, work on it and work on it and work on it until it was done. Um, you know, so those same steps have been happening. But rather than happening over the course of months, um, they're happening over the course of, like, a week or two. Um, so I think it's fair to say that it's, like, a little more... 
uh, stressful uh-huh. uh, in, you know, like it, in good ways and bad. Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes stress can be a positive thing and sometimes it can motivate you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so like, I, I don't feel like I'm, uh, I, I feel like it, it's, it's challenging. It, it's mm-hmm. more challenging now than it used to be, um, uh, because I have more of a, of a time limit and a deadline for each of these. Um, but in terms of like the creative process, uh, not really. Um, you know, it's, it's. Uh, the, the creative process is very much the same as it always was. It's just go through the source, pull out pieces that I think would make for a good joke. Whether I have the joke itself in mind or not, I will I will pull pieces that I think would like make for some good material um, out of a source, out of the timeline. Um, and if I do think of a joke in the moment while I'm watching something, then I'll just like edit out a simple version of it um, and then get back to my, my scrubbing through of it. Yeah. Um, but then once I have all of those things pulled... Um, then I go back through and rewatch each thing, and I think, how can I turn that into uh, something good, something funny? Or, or if I'm farther along in the process, can I incorporate that into a joke I've already made and make it funnier? Yeah. Um, you know, so sometimes you get these jokes that are like a long string of of separate jokes that are all tied together because of just how that process works. Um, and you know, I I kind of just do that over the course of several days. Um, assuming I'm not like wrapped up in any other projects, it, it'll take me like a week to make a YouTube poop. Lately, I'm also editing, uh, highlight videos, uh, for, uh, Snapcube and Dollop Days, who are a couple of, uh, really awesome streamers. Um, but that's taken a lot more of my time. Mm. So YouTube's have really been more of an every couple weeks kind of deal after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we talked about the mashups in the video essays too. So like I'm doing those as well. Wow. So I, my, my time is, my time is very li- limited. I, I get, I get very busy, but you know, as of uh, recording, it's, uh, it's almost new year's. And so I've been able to relax a little bit uh, for the holidays. And that's been nice mm-hmm. um, to just consciously be like, don't, don't stress yourself right now. <laughs> don't, don't push yourself too hard right now. This is your relax time. You're allowed to relax. And I have to tell myself that in order to relax. Otherwise I simply won't. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, yeah. Then, then that's that's um like that's great to hear that like something I've always thought about when you know creative types go from you know hobby to this is now how I make money and live that that was always something that, that I was like nervous to hear about was like do you still get the passion from your work like like how how do you how do you juggle that because I know a lot of times like when I'm at my day job or whatever it's like. I'm not. I'm not really feeling the feeling the same high I'm getting from when I'm doing, you know, the doing my creative stuff. So I mean, it's good to hear that. It sounds like for for the most part, that's still intact in in, the, in what you're doing. Oh yeah. I mean, fingers crossed. I mean, obviously that can that can change with time. But right now, hmm. right now I'm in it and I'm loving every minute of it. Yeah. Oh, that's that's so good. That's so good. And um, do you have anything more to add to that before I go on to my my next little question here? Just as we go down oh, no, the list. Please. No, please go on. Okay. Well, this is just, this is just super open ended. But is there anything that you've been particularly inspired by lately? Any any videos, any video games, any movies, or anything you want to talk about? Hmm. Um. That's that's a good question. Um. Mm-hmm. I I tend to keep the stuff that I'm uh, making YouTube poops of uh, private. Yeah. Um. Just just you know because like I don't want to, I, I don't I don't want there to be too much pressure. Mm-hmm. Um. To to perform well given a source, I'd I'd much rather just on the day it's uploaded just be like surprise I made a YouTube poop of this thing. Yeah yeah. Um. You know, so I, I won't be sharing any of that, but um, I've been uh, listening to a lot of, like, YouTube documentaries lately. Oh, yeah. Um, 
and uh, thinking about like how how those would work um, as a source. Um, I've I've done stuff of like video essays in the past, um, but you know I think I might try to try to branch out and do some more stuff like that because I think the stuff that's like meant to be educational makes for good content because mm -hmm. all you have to do is make someone say a thing that's just like patently and obviously false and <laughs> there boom that's a joke, <laughs> um, and uh, you know I'm I've been I've been just like. I, I always have phases with media. Like at any given moment, I'll have a game that I'm playing. I'll have a show that I'm watching. Um, you know, like right now, um, I'm, I'm playing a lot of Minecraft. Uh, I just got into Disco Elysium. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, it's it's an open secret <laughs> that uh, I've been working on a video essay about Fire Emblem Three Houses. Oh, yeah. Um, and that one's been a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, I think I finally know what I want to do with it. Um, but it's it's been challenging. But uh, I, I streamed uh, every route in the game I, I, over on my over on my Twitch that I used to stream on all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I just straight up told people like, yeah, I'm doing this because I want to make a video essay on it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and you know, so like that's been a thing. And a, a lot of people know that I made a couple of longer YouTube poops of uh, Fire Emblem Fates uh, back in 2016. Um, and so I think a number of people are expecting me to do something with the cutscenes in Three Houses now that they are, like, full cutscenes with, like, voice acting throughout and there's a whole lot more to work with. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't want to put out the guarantee for that, but I have definitely been thinking about how I would want to approach that because I feel like it would be a bigger undertaking this time. Um, you know, but, like, I'm, I'm watching, uh, you know, me and, me and my girlfriend are making our way through... Uh, uh, the Great British Bake Off, right. uh, which I've already made a couple of YouTube poops of. Um, we're watching uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, which is incredible. I am so mad at myself for missing out on it all these years, oh. but I am, I'm finally watching it and it is so good. I can't believe you haven't um, seen that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, like everything, everything I, I, I take in um, has the potential to eventually be a YouTube poop, but something about the particular uh, episode or like thing that I'm seeing has to has to really jump out at me. Mm -hmm. um, I I have found that my least favorite videos to make are the ones where I insist on a source yeah. without having that moment of oh I could do that with this. Um, you know we watched uh, we watched a, an episode of a show which again I'm not going to say which show it was but uh, when I was visiting my family we watched an episode of something that was on TV that really struck me as just like ripe for the taking so I got to <laughs> wait for that to like be on streaming platforms and for me to be able to like uh, grab it so I can do something with it yeah oh that's great to hear and it's you mentioned Great British Bake Off this is just a total tangent out of nowhere but did you see Captain Disillusion's new video about the the changing of the platter between the for the Netflix showing of that uh, no, I didn't. It's so weird. They CGI, they, like, they actually did some pretty complex CGI just because Pillsbury owns the, the copyright to the word Bake Off in America. Oh, that's why the name's different. Yeah, okay. that's why it's called the Great British Baking Show. But they literally, like, they must have hired, like, an F SFX company or something to, like, CGI out the name of the show on, the like, the winner's platter to change it to Great British Baking Show. And it's just like, why did they do that? That's incredible. Oh my goodness. Because <laughs> um, like I knew, I knew the name was different. I didn't realize that was why. <laughs> Holy shit, that's funny. It's <laughs> so funny. Like Pillsbury's like, yeah, you can't use the word Bake Off. And then he, Captain Disillusion me points out in the video that um, 
there's already shows on on American Netflix that have Bake Off in the name. I I don't know why they didn't let Great British Bake Off just pass by, but it caused a lot of work for some people. Know. I don't know. That's so weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, one of the other things I've noticed in there is um, the intro sequence for some of the older seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, they just like kind of somewhat awkwardly cut straight from the end of like the punchline that the hosts have in their little opening segment to just the theme song. Yeah, yeah. Um, it always it, it always kind of feels just like the little like a little bit unnatural, and that's because I know in my head that right after they make that joke, one of them says, "Welcome to the Great British Bake Off," <laughs> and you know, so they can't include that. Um, but in later seasons, they record those bits twice yep. <laughs> so that they have a version they can show in the American show where they say Great British Baking Show instead. <laughs> and I think that that's just, uh, it's so funny. All the semantics required for the smallest change, like all these little mm. things. Anyway, I think, uh, I think, I think at this point I've, I've said my piece with regards to, with regards to huge poop and stuff. Do you have any, do you have anything else for me? Any final, uh, yeah. any final things you want to, you want to know from me? Yeah. Just, just one last thing I, I really wanted to bring up. Cause I thought it was a really great point that you, you bring up in, uh, in your, your telltale games video, um, that oh, sure. the video essay where you mentioned that the walking deads games, um, give you a visual reference for like, for like moral conscience and like how actions affect others and all that. And how like mm-hmm. that, like really hit you and made you like reconsider your, your own perspective on these things. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like to tie back to my, my like little thing with the podcast of what art is. It was like, I always kind of tied that art in its most basic form is like your parents or elders or whatever telling you a story from their life. And the thing is, they'll exaggerate it, they'll change it around. But the thing is, is that they want to share their experience with you so that you don't make whatever mistake they made or just learn from that experience so you don't have to do what they did to keep going. And I felt like your experience with the Walking Dead game there was like the epitome of that. It's like through your experience with this game, you learned a life lesson without necessarily having to, you know... Um, go through the choices that the characters in The Walking Dead do necessarily. Mm-hmm. So um, I was just wondering if you had a, like any anything to elaborate on that in terms of this like that little plug of like my quest for the the what art is. Right. Yeah. Um, you pretty much hit the nail on the head uh, with regards to like how how it hit me and uh, how I how I use it and how I see it. Um, and because uh, I started playing The Walking Dead game. Like, basically right after the first uh, season of it had ended, mm-hmm. the, the Telltale game. And um, and that was really impactful for me because up until that point, um, I had just kind of sorted every issue in my head into this is a right thing to do or this is a wrong thing to do mm-hmm. with very little in regards to nuance. Mm-hmm. Um, and playing through the Walking Dead game uh, helped me kind of understand that like sometimes the things that we make aren't that the sorry the choices that we make aren't that straightforward Mm -hmm. and sometimes people do uh the right thing and it ends up not turning out as well uh as like somebody else who did the quote-unquote wrong thing um and you know it's it's it, it really showed me that even though your character you know you play as this guy named lee for most of the for most of the first season Mm -hmm. um you uh are making choices but you're not in a mystical magical world where every event around you bows to your whim and all of your choices like will directly affect 
uh, if if the world ends up being okay or not. You know, you're not a god in that game. You're just a guy. And um, that, it was it was a very, like, humbling experience. Because I'm used to video games where, you know, you, you get to be, like, Kratos or whatever. And yeah. you just, like, you know, fuck shit up and, every, and everything reacts to what you're doing at all times. Um, but in the Walking Dead game, the other characters around you are also people making choices. Mm-hmm. They are also, like, they're not literal players, but, like, you know, they are written as characters with depth and priorities and um things that they are and are not willing to do um and seeing that interact with your own choices um i don't know it was it's kind of hard to say that it's kind of hard to like put into words like just how um impactful that was because like i was i was kind of a piece of shit (laughs) um you know like back in the day i really only only cared about people um to a point and then kind of stopped caring about like what what they had to say or what they had to do um i'm it, it like it's it's very difficult for me to try to put into words because it is so it's such a specific thing mm-hmm. every now and again when i realize in real life that i have a decision to make between a couple of options my brain will sub subconsciously like go to the telltale games <laughs> interface where it's like do you want to do this thing or do you want to do this thing um and weirdly that has given me a sense of calm yeah um about about making decisions in my own life um because i know that like i it is better to just choose and work with that choice and own it um rather than pretending you have the opportunity to take something back because you don't mm-hmm. um you know life only life only moves one way um and while in places like a video game you have the opportunity to go back in time and see what happens if you did something differently mm-hmm. um in real life you don't have that and so it's really better to just make the best choice that you can right now um and not like stress too much about the process of choosing yeah yeah, no, that, that's a that's a very eloquent way to put it. That's so great, and it, I always thought it was so interesting that The Walking Dead, that like that the first season, all that kind of came out around the same time as The Last of Us. Yeah, and I feel like those games almost have kind of like flip notions about interactivity, where like with Joel and The Last of Us, like, Last of Us spoilers, but I mean everyone's I I think everyone knows the yeah, Last I've, of I've, Us. Yeah, I've played it. Yeah, yeah. um, the, the way that game ends is like. I don't think most people want to go kill the scientist saving mankind for the sake of just Ellie, you know? Um, right. But, and, and yet the game just forces you through that decision because it's not, like, in, in that sense, the narrative is not an interactive experience in that game. You are, you're, you're kind of just going through this, this character who is making his own decisions and going through things. And I always thought that was really interesting. I was like, is, am I doing something wrong? Is, like, is the game punishing me with a bad end or something? And I looked it up and I was like, no, that's just the story they wanted to tell. And your place in that is just to give you more investment. You know, And I always thought that was a really interesting mm-hmm. the way both those games kind of contrasted, despite being you know post-apocalyptic zombie games coming out around that time. Right. Yeah, um... You know, I, I don't think we question it in most video games because generally games are written uh, where the protagonists do the thing that you feel compelled to do. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that people maybe wouldn't have had that reaction to The Last of Us if the, if the writers were specifically trying to make you empathize with Joel and make you want what he wants. Yeah. 
um, I don't think it would have had the same reaction. And I think that that was actually like super cool and super smart mm-hmm. um, of them to to do because uh, you know that game as well as a bunch of others uh, that came out at that time. You know, uh, Bioshock Infinite has a lot of problems, mm-hmm. but um, one thing it uh, it it does really well uh, the, the the Bioshock series does really well is really make you uh, question your role as the uh, conduit through which this protagonist gets their goals met. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Walking Dead is is kind of the same, um, but, you know, I, I don't think it... I, don't, I guess a criticism I, I should have about the Walking Dead game is that it doesn't really, like, push that as much. Sometimes a character, like, the Walking Dead game will do a thing... And it'll seem like, oh man, I, I shouldn't do that thing. I don't want my character to do that. That seems like a, you know, like a choice I wouldn't have made. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does a good enough job of making you feel neutral in that scenario and giving you enough power, um, so that like it it does for a lot of players feel like a betrayal yeah. when like Lee does something that you wouldn't have done. Like even even in the very very first scene of of the Walking Dead game, you're in that cop car mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, the, the cop says, like, makes some, like, smart-ass comment, uh, about your wife who, you know, you, like, uh, it, it, it's a whole thing. You, like, <laughs> you, you, your character catches, uh, his wife, like, cheating mm-hmm. and then murders the guy. And he, so that's why he's, like, getting sent to prison. And so the dude, like, makes a smug comment about it. Um, and you have the four dialogue options, like, you usually have in one of them is like maybe you're right and one of them is like fuck you um but no matter which one you pick lee doesn't say anything he he like opens his mouth like he's about to and then thinks better of it Mm -hmm. um you know like a lot of people think that that's like a problem or a bug or something they're like oh well uh i i (laughs) oh oops is something wrong with the game he should have said something but i feel like that does a good job of establishing earlier on like you are not god yeah yeah that's a good point I played that game at a, a time in my life where I really needed to learn that I wasn't God. Yeah. Man. Oh, that's that's super interesting. Oh. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's kind of, that's, we went down the list. We went down the question list, and yeah, you you passed. You passed the flying colors. So Super good. Ellie, spe- Ellie Spectacular, quote, I am not God. There you go. That's the final message. We're learning about Ellie Spectacular not being God. This is the insight we have articulated today. <laughs> Change the world. My final message. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for taking the time. I appreciate oh. it uh, very much. Well, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. No, this is, uh, this is an episode I was really looking forward to, and I'm so glad you came on. So if anything you want to plug, I'll, I'll be sure to post links in the, co- in the description for everything. So anything you want to, you, you got going on? Uh, pretty much everything I talked about uh, is is accessible through my website, which is elliespectacular.com. Uh, it's really easy to remember. It's just it's just there's no weird spelling. It's just e l l i e spectacular.com. Beautiful. It's a great site too, by the way. It was it was very very nice to interview someone whose all their information was like right there. It was great. Uh, oh, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> but yeah, again, thank you so much for coming on. This was this is awesome. Yeah, thanks so much. The time. I was in another world. Violin, 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 violin. Frontier Psychiatry.